contact. Making contact. Making, making contact. You're listening to Making Contact. I'm Tonda Seasway Shimaringa. Police in the United States kill almost a thousand people per year. Black people account for a disproportionate share of those killings relative to their percentage of the population. And yet, some of those deaths generate more outrage than others. Brianna Taylor, say her name. Though you may know her name by now, it took the police killing of a black man, 47-year-old George Floyd, in May, to bring attention to her death. 26-year-old Taylor was killed in her home in March by three Louisville, Kentucky police officers in what has been described as a botched raid. 911 operator Harris, where is your emergency? I don't, I don't know what's happening. Somebody kicked in the door inside my girlfriend. <laughs> my God. Okay, how old is your girlfriend? She's, she's 26. Bring it. Oh you said 26? God. Where was she shot at? I don't know. She's on the grill right now. I don't know. Okay. Oh, you said she's 26. Is she alert and able to talk to you? No, she's not. Breathe. Brianna Taylor, an emergency medical technician, was the victim of a no-knock warrant, whereby police are allowed to legally enter a residence without announcing themselves if they believe there is criminal activity taking place or there is a high probability of valuable evidence being destroyed. Citing dispatch logs, the Courier-Journal reported that Ms. Taylor received no medical attention for more than 20 minutes after being shot eight times. According to a June 3rd Washington Post article, the no-knock warrant for Breonna Taylor's home was illegal and gained under fraudulent information submitted to a judge for an individual who did not live at Taylor's address and who was already in custody. Chanel Helm, a longtime community activist and leader in Louisville's Black Lives Matter, helped to organize a protest in support of Ms. Taylor. Brianna was forgotten. There are several other murders of men and, and other folks in the city who also still haven't gotten justice, but, you know, um, the immediate nature of their deaths were present. When Brianna was murdered, they made sure that they made it about Kenny um, and him shooting the police officer. Kenny, Kenneth Walker, was Taylor's boyfriend who was home with her when the police burst into the apartment. Fearing a break-in, Walker, a licensed gun owner, shot in defense of himself and Taylor, injuring a police officer. He was initially arrested, but charges were eventually dropped. There still was this underlying tone that, like, you know that his girlfriend was murdered by the police on that same day. So trying to get folks to recognize that black women, too, are murdered by the police has been the most frustrating thing, even in this moment. The Washington Post 
released a study of police shootings since 2015, finding that nearly 250 black women have been shot and killed by police. Like Breonna Taylor, 89 of them were killed at homes or residences where they were known to stay occasionally. While the rate of death for black women who die by law enforcement is lower than that of black men, the death of Taylor has reignited conversations around the inclusion of black women in the larger narrative of police violence. Why is it that when a black woman or girl is a victim of police killings, it doesn't seem to cause the same level of outrage as the deaths of black men and boys? One reason could be that black women's deaths are often not as public as the deaths of a George Floyd, Eric Garner, or Oscar Grant. Another reason could be... I think that racism has been branded as something that only happens to men. And that's a false story, but it's a story that our culture has perpetuated for a long time. That's Richie Reseda, the founder of Success Stories, a program that helps young men in prison challenge patriarchy to better achieve their goals. He founded the program while serving a 10-year sentence in Soledad State Prison. Patriarchy just erases the experiences of cis women, trans women, and gender non-binary people. It frames those folks' experiences as less legitimate. It, I think cis sexism and sexism, one of the, the primary things that it does is it leads us to not believe cis women, trans women, and, and gender non-binary people. That's what it teaches us to do. And when they are murdered or killed, there are more excuses made or assumptions made that they must have done something to have earned that. They must have put themselves in some situation to have earned being murdered. It's very similar to the things that people say when survivors are raped. What did they do to put themselves in those situations rather than challenging the behavior of men? Patriarchy is a social system, and like all social systems, beliefs play an important role. Patriarchy is the idea that Domination is power, and that cisgender heterosexual men are inherently dominant, and therefore inherently powerful. So cis het men like myself are assumed to be legitimate when we speak. We're assumed to be coming from places of authority, legitimacy, and leadership whenever we speak, and everybody else is assumed to be less legitimate. The African American Policy Forum founded by legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw, formulated the Say Her Name campaign in December 2014 to make visible the names and stories of black women and girls who have been victims of police terrorism. Because of the historical emphasis on black men's stories of anti-black violence, such as lynching, it may be harder to conceptualize anti-black violence against women. Black women's stories, Crenshaw notes, have historically been erased or ignored. Such a viewpoint creates a gender-exclusive narrative instead of a gender-inclusive one around police violence against black people, according to Dr. Treva Lindsay, professor of women's gender and sexuality studies and African-American women's history at Ohio State University. First and foremost, when you have a gender-exclusive understanding of police violence, you miss 
the gravity of and the extent of police violence. I think when we only focus, and primarily in this case on cisgender Black men and boys, when we talk about police violence, we miss the different ways that police violence shows up in our society. So everything from those fatal incidents that we see, like the cases of, of course, George Floyd, Richard Brooks, more recently, um, to things like sexual violence. Lindsay believes that it's important to understand how sexual misconduct plays a larger part in policing than we think, and that not including it in discussions of police violence causes us to miss out on the ways that policing is failing and who it is failing. A gender-exclusive one gives us only a partial picture. So while it is important to talk about Black men and boys being disproportionately killed by police when we look at our population, at the population of Black men and boys in, the, in this nation, and then the rate at which they're killed by police, it's important because it's incredibly high. But it also is that similarly high for black women and girls in comparison to white women and Latina women and Asian American women, that black women are killed at a higher rate by police as well. And so if we're going to talk about defunding the police and we're going to talk about abolishing, reforming, whatever the aim is, if we don't get the full picture, we're already going to be partially implementing justice. And I don't want a partial approach to racial injustice. We need a full, robust approach that tells the truth about what's happening. Tell the truth about what's happening. That's something that filmmaker Byron Hurt, creator of Beyond Beats and Rhymes, Masculinity and Hip Hop, agrees with. I think that there are many black women who are doing the work of changing this right now as we speak. Um, you have, you know, the hashtag Say Her Name, um, which is amplifying the names and the lives of black women um, who have tragically died at the hands of police officers. Um, and so I think that that work is, is, is being done. And through the use of social media and organizing and galvanizing people to, to show up at protests in the name of uh, you know, black women who have been murdered by the police, I think that there are plenty of, of black women um, who are leading the charge of making sure that, you know, black women's lives are, are honored um, and so that they won't be forgotten and that justice will be done. While black women lead the charge, Hurt says it's important that men do whatever it is that they can to assist. You know, I do what I can do as a man to um, use my platforms to, to speak out and to lift up the names and the voices of um, you know, victims of any form of violence, especially when it comes to black women. But we just need more people who are, who are doing that and who feel the pain and who feel the outrage when a black woman like Breonna Taylor or Rakia Boyd or, or Corinne Gaines or whoever it is experiences, you know, violence at the hands of a man, especially law enforcement. There are those who don't believe that the police killings of black women and girls is because they are valued less in the black community. Some, like Wanda Johnson, believe it is because the media is more likely to focus on the death of black men, thus keeping black men in the forefront of the public's mind. Johnson's son, Oscar Grant, was murdered by a transit officer on January 1st, 2009, in Oakland, California. So several of them that have been in the news that 
people have been privy to, um, they have gotten an outcry as well. And I think that we have to not stop the momentum is what happens is that we do an outcry for a couple days and then stop it and the story goes away. But if the story is kept in the forefront and if the, if the continual momentum of the fight of injustice continues and it stays in the face of the people, that's when it will change the dynamics. Johnson believes the perception of more concern for black men and boys is due to a void of consistent organizing and not because of a lack of concern. We have to do that. We have to keep it in the public eye. We start out well, and then we just kind of, like, fizzle out. And I think even, like, with Brianna's murder, we don't hear about We I mean, we hear about it, but we don't hear about it. You know what I mean? As much as we should be hearing about it still. We should be fighting until something is done, as well as charging the officers. Despite numerous articles written about Breonna Taylor being killed by police while in her home, mass protests throughout the nation, and mainstream publications placing her image on the cover of their magazines, neither Taylor nor her family have received even a semblance of justice. Sheila Hines Brim is hopeful about the future of the movement against police terror, despite not having received justice for her niece, Waukesha Wilson a 36-year-old mother of one. Wilson was found dead in her cell on Easter Sunday in 2016. Los Angeles Police Department officials claim Wilson hung herself from a phone booth cord. 22 minutes of surveillance video of Wilson inside the jail cell is missing, and the officer who was monitoring her was eventually fired. No one has ever been charged in Wilson's death. I think what everybody's doing is coming together, marching and everything. That is great. People are finally waking up because now people all over the world, all over the countries are saying Black Lives Matter. Before, we wasn't getting that. People wasn't understanding that. But so now, after people being at home because of the coronavirus, watching television, they got to see it, this police brutality going on with their own eyes. And the people are saying enough is enough. You're listening to Say Her Name, Black Women, Police Violence, and Abolition on Making Contact. This show is offered for free to stations around the world. Check us out on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact.
say her name is one practical way to address the lack of visibility around the police killings of black women and girls. But ultimately, how do we effectively address the unwarranted killings of all black people by police? Some people have put forth the idea of police reform. However, historian and author Robin D.G. Kelly doesn't think so. The simple answer is that the only solution is a revolutionary solution, and the only solution is abolition. Um, uh, so and the reason I say that is because we've been here before with reforms. We've had more than a half a century of some of the same reforms that are being promoted now. Um, and we know that police and prisons continue to enact irreparable harm, especially to people of color, especially to black, brown, indigenous people. According to Kelly, every reform proposed for police violence today has been proposed over the last 50 years. Tasers, more black cops, residency requirements, better data to flag patterns of police misconduct, body cams, banning chokeholds. Kelly noted that people have died from chokeholds in jurisdictions where chokeholds have been banned. The NYPD banned the use of chokeholds, and yet Eric Garner, for example, was killed in July 2014 by an NYPD officer who applied the illegal chokehold. And one of the things I wanted to point out was that, you know, so much of the mobilization centered uh, this year around George Floyd's killing, which is on tape. And we have to remember that the Minneapolis Police Department was considered a model of reform. It was a poster child of reform. It, it was celebrated because it had a diverse force. We saw some of that diversity um, in the film in, in, uh, of the killing of George Floyd. Uh, it was supposed to be well-trained in mental health crisis intervention. Uh, they had training in implicit bias. It was considered one of the best in the nation. Uh, they were trained in de-escalation, uh, and they were praised for being exceptionally compassionate. These are, these are standards or measures that are recent, the last two or three years. Uh, and the list of people killed by the police while the Minneapolis Police Department is being praised is just one of those amazing contradictions. For Kelly, if a police department lauded for making successful reforms is still getting it wrong, abolition is the next best option. For some, the idea may seem unrealistic or frightening, but there was also a time when the abolition of slavery sounded implausible. Kelly offers a way to think about this approach. A lot of people think that abolishing the police, first of all, is, is basically it means the absence of any kind of security or protection, as opposed to the presence of justice in the presence of a just system. Um, and so I want to really make this distinction very clear because police abolition is not about the absence, it's about the presence of something that's missing. And here it's very important to recognize that part of the demand to uh, abolish the police and create other alternatives come from the failure of the police to protect women, youth, gender nonconforming people, you know, trans, queer uh, victims of violence, not just police violence, where the police are incapable of responding. As with the abolition of slavery, organized support exists for the abolition of policing. 
It's not something that will happen overnight, but the call for it grows louder by the day, and the organizing for it continues across the country. Again, abolition, police abolition is not pie in the sky. It is necessary for our own um, survival as a people, um, as community. And there's so many movements that are behind this uh, within the kind of framework of Black Lives Matter, like the Dream Defenders, the Black Youth Project 100, We Charge Genocide, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, um, so many, many uh, organizations that are out here are doing this work, Let Us Breathe Collective, Community Rights Campaign, um, everywhere. There's, there are people pushing for abolition, but we have to really study this question and support it. And um, because the one last thing I'll just say about reforms, what reforms succeed in doing oftentimes is consolidating the power of the carceral state and the police state, not weakening it, not undermining it. And, and we really have to uh, uh, push beyond reform, or if you're going to have any reforms, you have to be reforms that cannot, that don't uphold the system, but short-term reforms that really ultimately um, lead to dismantling the system. The abolishment of law enforcement as we know it would mean an end to dangerous practices like the no-knock policy that killed Breonna Taylor. On September 23rd, a Kentucky grand jury charged former Louisville police officer Brett Hankinson, whose employment was terminated in June, on three counts of wanton endangerment for shooting into neighboring apartments the night of Taylor's death. No charges were returned for Jonathan Mattingly and Miles Cosgrove, the other two officers indicted along with Hankinson. As of this date, no one has been held legally responsible for Taylor's death. At a rally held to protest the grand jury's decision not to convict any of the officers involved, Bianca Austin, aunt of Breonna Taylor, spoke on behalf of Tamika Palmer, Breonna's mother, and the family. I'm standing here today. I'm mm. going to represent my niece in her EMT jacket. Mm. Um, I chose this just to have her be a part of us today. Yes. Um, also, I just want to shout out to our family. Um, it's been a long six months, um, and it's been a, a wild roller coaster. Not only have we been out here fighting for justice for Brianna, but we are continuing to lose our family members uh, to cancer, to COVID, to being murdered. And so um, my message is to you is just cry your tears, lift your head up, and keep stepping. Um, I hear you, Bianca. And most of you know this has been emotionally, mentally, and physically draining for my sister. So I'm going to do the honor and read her thoughts um, after Daniel Cameron's um, decision. And I quote, I never had faith in Daniel Cameron to begin with. Amen. I knew he was too inexperienced to deal with a job of this caliber. Mm. I knew he had already chosen to be on the wrong side of the law. Mm. The moment he wanted to, the grand jury to make the decision, what I had hoped is that he knew he had the power to do the right thing, mm -hmm. that he had the power to start the healing of this city, that he had the power to help men over 400 years of oppression. Mm. What he helped me realize is that it will always be 
us against them. Yeah. That we are never safe when it comes to them. Mm. Maddenly, in an email, called us animals and thugs. It's clear that that is the way that they will always see us. I, will reassure, I was reassured Wednesday of why I have no faith in the legal system, in the police, in the law that are not made to protect us black and brown people. But when I speak on it, I'm considered an angry black woman. Mm. But know this, I am an angry black yeah. woman. Hey. I am not angry for the reasons that you would like me to be. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But you, angry because our black women keep dying at the hands of police black officers. Mm. Black men. And black men. Mm. Okay. Angry because our children are dying at the hands of police officers. Mm -hmm. And I'm angry because this nation is learning that our black women dying at the hands of police officers, and this is not okay. Mm. You can take the dog out of the fight, mm. but you can't take the fight out of the dog. Say it again. For lack of better terms, bark, bark for being the dog still standing to fight. Mm. Yeah. I knew Cameron would never do his job, mm. but what I do know is that him and countless others will go to bed sleeping with Brianna's face, still hearing her say her name. Yeah. Cameron alone didn't fail her, but it ended with the lack of investigation failed her. Mm. The officer who told a lie to obtain a search warrant failed her. Mm. The judge who signed the search warrant failed her. The terrorist who broke down her door failed her. Mm. The system as a whole has failed her. You didn't just rob me of my and my family, you robbed the world of a queen. Mm. A queen willing to do a job that most of us could never stomach to do. A queen willing to build up anyone around her. A queen who was starting to pave her path. Mm. I hope you never have to know the pain of knowing your child is in need and help and you're not able to give them. Mm. I hope you never hear the sounds of seeing someone cry and beg for your child to get help and she never receives help. Those cries was ignored. I hope you never know the pain of your child being murdered 191 days in a row. Yeah. Mm. Tamika Palmer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I am so sorry. Yeah, so sorry you gotta go through this. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Yeah. But your family got your back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. We're not going nowhere. We got your back. Until freedom has your back. Right. Lanita has your back. Yeah. Ben has your yeah. back. Your daddy has your back. Yeah. And guess what? This park. Yeah. These people that's out here stomping on these grounds has your back. That's right. Stomping on these grounds. That's right. Fresh out. Fresh out. Oh, you know. In September, Louisville officials agreed to pay $12 million to settle a wrongful death lawsuit brought by Ms. Taylor's mother and to institute reforms aimed at preventing future deaths by officers. In Los Angeles, I'm Tanda Seasway Shimmeringa. You've been listening to Say Her Name, Black Women, Police Violence, and Abolition on Making Contact. Special thanks to the Left Tilt Fund for their support. For other shows and more information about this episode, visit radioproject.org. 
This show was edited and co-produced by Anita Johnson. The executive director of Making Contact is Sanya Green. Lisa Rudman is director of production initiatives and distribution. Making Contact producers are Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, and Salima Hamarani. Web updates, Sabine Blazon. Production assistant, Emily Rose Thorne. And I'm Tandasizwe Shimaringa. Thanks for listening to Making Contact. Thank you.